Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to be honest and open about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my TV work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. It's my hope that you really relate to what's shared with you today and that you're inspired and supported and comforted as I always am when I chat with my amazing guests. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of psychological and brain sciences. Hi. Hi, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm well. I'm glad to be chatting. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. It's been so many years since we were working together and um, and we and we met, essentially. It has been quite a long time. Yeah, and I think like your career has taken a few twists and turns, which I probably have no idea about. So I'd love to get onto that eventually. It's taken quite a number of turns. Yeah? What's been happening? <laughs> oh, me. gosh. Well... <laughs> Oh, I don't even know where to start. Why don't we start at the beginning? Because I actually didn't know that your official kind of expertise was in psychological and brain sciences. How did you get into that? So that's a really interesting and weird story. Uh, I was in high school where most people start exploring their passions and interests. Um, And I had this condition where I couldn't stop hiccuping. Okay. And it was to the point where it was so invasive that sometimes I couldn't breathe. Wow. And I went to all kinds of doctors. I went to basically any expert you can think of, I went to it. Mm. And eventually I ended up going to a pediatric neurologist who explained to me that I had a form of a tick that was a combination of both a verbal and a nonverbal tick. So my diaphragm was spasming. Uh, Most people, when they get a tick, their eyes wink or their shoulders shrug, especially if they develop them in high school. It's some kind of some kind of physical tick. It's something that you might see on, uh, I don't know, pick a nerdy character from an 80s movie and you've probably seen a tick. Right. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So that that doctor was so talented and so patient and so willing to understand what I was going through and so willing to explain what he knew about what I was going through, that it really instilled a passion in me. Uh, So I ended up going to a school where I was able to pursue neuroscience, get my bachelor's in neuro. And then I intended on getting my PhD in neuroscience. And I uh, applied to a bunch of really good schools. I really investigated what I wanted to do. There were only about five experts in the field that I was curious about, which was looking at how hormones affect cognition. Uh, And I ended up at one of my first choice schools, 
and had a few experiences there that made it very clear to me that I was not going to be getting my PhD from that uh, program. Unfortunately, and I think this might be sort of getting at the meat of why we're talking and why we're anonymous here, uh, my advisor was not somebody for whom I think anyone should have much respect. He was very much uh, a believer in the old boys club, so to speak. <laughs> um, so studying hormones and cognition, you can imagine that you're probably going to be really digging into um, sexual hormones. So the hormones that sort of present differently among the different sexes, right? Yeah. Uh, specifically estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Now, when you're talking about that, you're clearly going to be talking about some sex differences that oh we gosh. see in our species. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see where this might be going. Um, this individual and I butted heads a lot. Uh, I ended up pulling in the ombudsman. I ended up talking to my department head. I ended up defending... Uh, my undergraduate students who were working with me from him. And, and it really wasn't a pretty sight. I actually switched advisors for the last six months of my program. Um, but it, it all came to a head when we were sitting in a small seminar class, only about four or five students and this professor. Uh, and we were talking about different disorders that are based in hormonal imbalances during the menstrual cycle. And I mentioned that I was particularly interested in PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. For those of you who don't know, it's a condition where you can experience a host of dysphoric symptoms similar to depression before the onset of uh, your menstrual, uh, the end of your menstrual cycle. About 8% of women experience this. It's documented. It is in all kinds of medical manuals. It is a real thing that women experience. There is no doubt about it. There's really no arguing it. Uh, this particular mm. professor decided that it wasn't real. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so he and I did not get along at all. Uh, and as a result, I left academia. But luckily, because I knew that academia wasn't going well for me, I sought out something that I really enjoyed. Mm. Yeah. And something I really enjoyed was talking about science with people who weren't scientists. I felt that people ended up having mm. really good questions, really good yeah. insights, and they were genuinely curious to learn, right. even if they were not curious enough to take a formalized class. And I ultimately ended up moving back to the East Coast. Uh, we had, I had been on the West Coast. And when that happened, I kind of uh, dropped off the science communication map for a little bit. And I took about an eight-month hiatus from pretty much everything. Actually, I was pretty severely depressed. Um, I had wanted to continue working in science communication and but I, I actually left a uh, fairly psychologically abusive relationship and took a few months to recover. Uh, so once I recovered and once I was ready to get back to it, finding a science communication job on the East Coast is a lot harder than on the West Coast. 
So I ended up exploring a few different options, and I ended up in what's called medical writing. Medical writing is a field that nobody had ever told me existed, and it's a huge field. Uh, it's working within the pharmaceutical industry, which many of us have our concerns about that, myself included. Some days I wake up and wonder why I am in the pharmaceutical world, but I am. It's where I am today. Uh, and as a medical writer, I have had the experience of working both on developing commercial aspects of a drug and the medical aspects of a drug, which is where I am now. The job I have is fulfilling in that I'm always getting to learn. But as I may have alluded to, it's not where I thought I would end up. I'm satisfied. The world outside of my job is fantastic for me. You know, I've built a great life. But part of me will always want to get back into science communication. What an interesting reason to study neuroscience. Yeah, you know, I learned a lot about my own body and it was really fascinating. And, and is the tick still there? I mean, what, what, what happened to that? Uh, so it is still there. It's something that uh, comes up very, very rarely, usually only when my stress levels are very high. Mm. For the most part, I've learned uh, several techniques to keep it under control. But yes, if you hear it, it sounds like somebody just stepped on a puppy's tail. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So when you were a kid, um, was it obvious that you wanted to go into STEM subjects? Like, were you the type of scientifically curious child? Mm, no, I really wasn't. Up until I discovered neuroscience, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Okay. So you had this creative. <laughs> I kind of discovered neuroscience by accident. And it was a complete happy coincidence that it was something I ended up being really passionate and curious about. And of course, it's not something that's usually taught in elementary, middle or high school. So, I mean, when you discovered, when you developed this tick um, and you wanted to learn more about it and kind of um, almost understand what was going on with you, did you realize that it would involve subjects that are, you know, not the easiest for most people? Oh, no. I had absolutely no idea. You know, when I first and finally got a diagnosis, um, I, I had no idea that what I was stepping into was a world of unknowns, essentially. You know, the human body is amazing. The neurological uh, systems are amazing. And uh, you don't realize how much we don't know until you start trying to learn about it. You know, I sat down at 15, 16 years old thinking, oh, this will be easy. And here I am well over a decade later going, mm, no, this was not easy, but it was fun. So, I mean, before you developed it, were you um, going down a more creative route then? Uh, I don't think I had a real solid plan before that. You know, I think I wanted to be a fashion designer in the same way that a kid wants to be, I don't know, an, an astronaut or mm -hmm. the first person to discover a new civilization. It, it's sort of a grand thought that you don't really consider to be something that's real or obtainable. I, I think I didn't have a real goal until I really dug into the meat 
of learning about neuroscience on my own. Right. Okay. So um, kind of what had happened to you is what changed the course of your life, really. Oh, completely. Uh, Who knows where I would be otherwise? Gosh. Okay. So as a child um, or a young woman studying the sciences in order to understand what was happening with you neurologically, um, did you, I mean, how did you cope with these subjects? Because they do tend to be quite difficult for most people. I was very lucky. Uh, The school that I attended for high school had a program with the local state colleges called University in the High School. And in that program, they had a science research course that you could take that was a three-year course where you could do your own science-based investigation, and you would have to design your own experiment, execute it, and present the results. Wow, so the timing was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, very, very amazing timing. I was very lucky. The general concept of this class is really ambitious. And most people, quite frankly, myself included, end up developing studies that are sort of rehashing existing information or very simplistic. But that three years of learning how to read scientific papers, learning to understand the concepts that I was curious about, and just getting able to explore neuroscience in general with some guidance, but no real structured class time was really absolutely amazing. I I highly encourage every high school out there to have a course like this. Yeah, because I think sometimes um, traditional education uh, tends to be quite limiting um, because from the number of women I've talked to particularly engineers, um, they learn more when they're having fun and they're outside of the kind of typical classroom structure where they're allowed to fail and kind of do extra learning that's off syllabus and things like that. Did you did you have that experience? Yes, entirely. I think, I, you know, that's not true. I know. I distinctly remember in elementary school, saying that science was the worst and why did anybody ever bother learning it? Because it was boring. Mm. And it wasn't until I started investigating science outside of the classroom that I realized that science is actually the coolest thing ever. I'm so glad you're saying that because I was wondering whether, you know, you regretted taking um, a science route because of your condition. Oh, God, no. No. Okay. No. So what about the the fashion designer aspirations? Like, where did that go, the need for creativity? Does your job provide you with that? The fashion designing is off the table. I took a sewing class, and I'm terrible <laughs> at it, and I'm lucky I don't still have a sewing needle through my finger. <laughs> uh, instead, I, I get my creativity elsewhere. So disclaimer for anyone who's listening I'm a giant nerd Mm. and that that's just the truth of the matter um but to get my my creative juices flowing which I need to do to be balanced I do some creative writing um but I also 
I don't know, Shani, if you've ever heard of this thing called live action role play. No. It, it's sort of like if you take Dungeons and Dragons and um, improv and smash them together. Basically, I get to dress up like Lagertha from Vikings and run around the woods for a weekend with other nerds. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and it's creative in that we're telling these joint stories together where you know, de- de- developing costumes and putting ideas together and creating this whole the whole imaginary world for each other. Um, like I said, total nerd, complete nerd. But it does give me a nice creative release. Um, I also am, am always experimenting with different forms of art. Uh, I've, I've tried leather work. I think uh, resin casting is up next for me just because I like working with my hands. And, and as a medical writer, I'm working with my hands in that I'm typing all day, but I'm not creating something that I can touch. And, and I think that I satisfy my creative needs by creating things that I can physically touch and interact with. Okay, so you don't sound like um, a traditional neuroscientist. Um, I, I honestly don't, yeah, I was going to say, I honestly don't know what that would be anyway. Um, but I think it's just your journey into STEM has just been very unconventional and really interesting. Um, how do you feel about it or like looking back on your journey? The first word that comes to mind is grateful. I think that I didn't have a direction. And even though my body decided that hey, you're going to deal with stress by making weird noises in the middle of the classroom in high school because that'll make you more friends. Um, Despite my body's decision, uh, it led me down a path that I could really, really explore. And I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. I'm incredibly grateful for the doctor who was willing to sit with a 16-year-old and explain what was going on. I'm grateful for the teachers who allowed me to take a course where there was no structured lesson time. I'm grateful for the teachers who let me change my mind a million times in that class. And I'm grateful for the teachers who let me take what I was learning in that, in that non-traditional class and apply it to my traditional classroom experience. Um, Really, I got very lucky with my mentors early in life. How significant was their input to the course of your life? I mean, where did you get support from? Was it always uh, teachers or were there others that uh, supported you? Um, Well, I would say the support was very significant, but I got my support from a lot of places. I got support from my friends who were also in that same class with me. I got support from my parents. My parents have always thought I'm a weird kid, but never in a bad way. You know, it, it was very clear to them that I was not like a traditional student or, or interested in the things that I could get in a classroom. So they always made an effort to support me in my interests. You know, they have no idea what I'm talking about half the time, even today. But they try, they listen, and as a child, as a high school student, as a college student, they always made an effort to get me gifts or 
uh, send me in the direction of things that they thought were relevant to my interests. And I didn't see that with all of my friends' parents. So I, I'm very proud that my parents are supportive as they are. Did you consider yourself to be a different kid or were you oblivious to it at the time? Oh, no, I knew I was weird. Okay. So how did you cope with being weird? Because often being weird is what turns uh, people in different directions in order to be more connected to others. So how did you cope with your weirdness? You know, I didn't feel like it was something I needed to cope with. I was very lucky in that I had a few very close friends. And I was very lucky in that it was instilled in me at a young age that being weird was okay. It was instilled in me at a very young age that not fitting in was all right. And any time it started to get to me, my mother is an absolute saint and would always remind me that eventually you will find your people. Uh, she used to say it as water seeks its own level. Mm. And she would always remind me, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Don't sacrifice what you like for other people. And eventually you'll find the people who share interests that are similar to yours. And that's not to say that you should only find and enjoy the presence of people who think exactly the same as you do, who have the exact same interests as you do. But it did mean that I was okay and comfortable with the fact that my interests were different from my peers. And it meant that I was generally very comfortable with who I was. So do you think the tick developed just purely for physiological reasons? Most times, I hate being definitive, most times, when you are a teenager who develops a tick, it is because you are high achieving in some aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. And you have not been taught how to handle the stress that comes with trying to achieve the, that, the most you can in that field. Right. So you often see it in students who are very academic, who don't have any stress outlet. Or you see it in students who have another passion that doesn't let them relieve their stress. So it's kind of like perfect, perfectionists could develop ticks. Yes, as, um, as it was explained to me, type A plus personalities are most at risk for developing a tick. Right. Were you always like a straight A student? Uh, no, I was middle of the road until about fourth or fifth grade when I really started to understand what grades meant. And as soon as I understood, I had a really firm grasp, then I sought to get A's and to pursue that high grade point average as much as possible. And that continued until I took organic chemistry in college. Organic chemistry beat my butt. I did not get it. It was the first time I had ever encountered a topic that I did not easily understand or at least quickly assimilate the information enough to pass the test. 
it was actually probably my first experience with um, sexism within the STEM fields, to be perfectly honest, at least the first I was aware of. Why? What happened? Um, I went to my teacher for help when I realized that I wasn't getting it. And he told me that you are a woman with a type A personality. I can't help you. What do you think he meant by that? I honestly think that he just meant that he didn't know how to help. I think that ultimately he knew how to teach the subject one way Mm. and it wasn't a way that worked for me. So he wasn't going to bother to take the time to try again. Yeah. I don't know if he meant it as a way that was sexist, but that's how it ended up presenting. It's interesting because sometimes as women, we're kind of on the receiving end of, um, male insecurity i'm sorry that it sounds so typecast to say that but i think sometimes you know men express their insecurities in a way that actually puts us down and i think if we're not too sure about ourselves as women we absorb that insecurity and we personalize it and we we think there's something wrong with us um I agree entirely. So is that what happened? Um, Is that how you received that teacher's comments? You know, I genuinely haven't had to think about it Mm. in a very long time. But looking back on it, yes. I, I think it was more him being insecure in his ability to teach the topic to anybody who didn't learn the way he taught. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you still receive um, in that in the same way? I mean, do you still encounter experiences like that in the same way today? Um, not in my current position. I'm I'm very lucky with the people I work with today, but in past positions as a medical writer, I certainly have. What's the gender balance where you work? Where I work, it is five female medical writers to one male medical writer. Okay. And what's it like working with so many women? You know, it's nice. It's great. My previous position was more equitably split with a higher percentage of men Mm. in higher roles than women. And it was, for many reasons, a fairly toxic environment. Think um, Mad Men and you've got a pretty good idea. But... But the place where I work now really promotes a great environment, and I can't speak highly enough of them, even though I know I'm completely anonymized, so you know this is true. My, my company is pretty good right now. I'm pretty happy with them. So, you know, it sounds like you've been through a lot, and you've had to face um, animosity in a way that I haven't really come across before. It sounds like um, you've had to... Uh, you've been striving to discover things out of pure interest and uh, passion to find out, to seek um, answers because of your own condition. And you've kind of come up against traditional ways of thinking, Um Has that jaded you in any way? To be perfectly honest, I don't view 
my life trajectory or my interest in science as unusual. I don't view it as, as having come up against a lot of um, difficulties as, as you had put it. So I don't think I've ever had to think about it. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't think I'm jaded about the scientific field, no. So, you know, for any young women who are thinking of going into a similar field, like what would you, how would you describe it? What, what's your experience like now? And what would you tell them, those budding kind of neuroscientists out there? First of all, just do it. Neuroscience is one of the coolest things I've ever encountered. I highly recommend you pursue it if you're curious about it. Um, the biggest thing is if you're going to pursue it, you know, it's great to learn about the programs that you're interested in, but it's much more important to learn about the professors who are teaching the program. Talk to other students, talk to other grad students, listen to what they're saying, because science and neuroscience is complex and fascinating, and you can lose yourself in it for your entire lifetime. As long as you have people around you who are willing to let you do that. So I think one of your professors said that uh, I can't teach you. You're an type A. You're a type A. Okay. So, yeah. What did you understand type A to be? Uh, well, if you're talking about personality types, which I think he was, I think he just meant that I was neurotic and didn't like accepting help from uh, other people. You know. You know, when anyone ever says, oh, that's a type A personality, generally I think neurotic and obsessive and control freak, which are not all bad things, by the way. So, like, how did you receive his comments? Like, did you did you think, oh, that's great? Or were you like, that is so insulting. He doesn't know who I am. Or I thought it was pretty insulting. It was one of the few large courses that I took. So the professor really had no idea who I was. Uh, and he was making an assessment based on the five minutes we had spent in his office where I was asking for help. Right. And did it like affect you in any way? Or like, how do you receive comments like that? Like, do you tend to take them to heart or do they just like um, fall off you like water off a duck's back, you know? So on at that point in my life, I took it to heart. I remember being very upset and hurt that somebody would decide whether or not they could help me based on my perceived personality. Um, these days, I don't know that I would react as strongly as I did then. I would probably just shrug, maybe may, might not roll off my back but it certainly would not stick for very long or bother me for very long. So are you um, happy doing what you're doing today? Like, have you found your happy place? Well, I don't want to scare people away, but no. Um, as, as a medical writer, I make a decent salary. I am in a position of some responsibility, and I get to really guide a lot of the projects that I work on. I'm really involved in the development process of them, which is in some ways very satisfying. 
But as I mentioned earlier, it's for the pharmaceutical industry. And as we all know, for those of us at least who pay attention to politics, the pharmaceutical industry has some serious pitfalls. And I'm also not getting to talk to people who don't know science, who, who don't spend time in a classroom learning about science. And I really miss that. I miss having those conversations and those interactions with non-scientists who care about science. I spend most of my days now interacting with people who have PhDs, MDs, or both. So they generally know just as much, if not more, than I do. And I'm just developing content for them to continue their education. So ultimately, one day, I would love to get back to where I'm really helping people discover science for the first time or again uh, in a way that's outside the classroom. And do you have like some kind of plan to get there or? Um... Uh, right now, no, I don't. I've had a lot of stuff in my personal life, all great things, but things that have really taken me away from looking at my career path. Mm -hmm. So when my non-career life calms down a little bit, then I'm hoping to come back and start you know, knocking on doors and figuring out a plan. Mm. How have you balanced um, career and personal life? Because I think for STEM women, um, it's pretty tricky to be able to strike a balance with all of that. Oh, it's difficult. There are days where I'm, I'm working 19 hours straight to get projects done. And before that, when I was in academia or I was working in um, television, it was crazy hours at weird times. I have luckily cultivated a group of friends who are really understanding. And I have a, a partner who is absolutely amazing in this regard too. So I'm lucky that the people I have found and the people I have surrounded myself with understand my crazy hours and are supportive of the fact that sometimes I just need to, you know, curl up in a blanket and watch Netflix and not talk to anybody. And they also are really happy to work me into their plans if I say, hey, I actually have this weekend off all of a sudden. Can I come apple picking with you? Um, so I think I, I really balance it by making sure I check in with my friends on a regular basis, even if it's just a text message saying, hey, how are you? Or hey, are you free this weekend? I, with my line of work, I can't really plan things in advance because right. I never know what the client is going to need. Um, so I've gotten very used to making last minute plans. Mm. So what does having it all mean to you? Oh gosh, what does having it all mean to me? Um, you know, that's difficult for me because I'm not sure how much I feel it applies to my situation. I am not a woman who wishes to have children and often having it all refers to being able to have a family with kids and a job. That's often how it's portrayed. Yeah. So I've never had to think about how it applies to me or how I think about it or how I define it. As far as I'm concerned, I will have a job 
and I will have a personal life, and hopefully I'll get to go on vacation sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Which, if I think about it, now that you're asking me, maybe is how some of our male counterparts think about it, Um, Mm -hmm. since traditionally child-rearing wasn't on them. Mm. Um, but honestly, that that's something I'm going to have to think about. Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, like, why um, are you so sure you don't want children? Or is that too personal a question? Oh, no, it's fine. Um, I am not the mothering type. I have never in my life had the thought, oh, I would love to take my kids here when I have them, or oh... I would name my daughter this. Those thoughts never in my entire life crossed my mind. Um, I've said, I think since I was a child, maybe 10 years old, that kids aren't in my future. And that hasn't changed. Um, And I'm expecting that that won't change since it's been well over two decades now that I've said no kids. It's just not something that I ever cared about, which I realize sounds bad, but you all know what I mean. So, so when you talk about like wanting a personal life, what what does that look like? It means having a good work life balance. It means being able to go to the office, do my work, have to stay late sometimes because we all have to stay late sometimes. Mm but also being able to go home and cook dinner and have enough energy at the end of the day to have meaningful interactions with my partner, with my friends, Mm. you know, having the energy, if a friend calls me up and invites me over for a drink or invites me over for board games, I have the energy to say, yeah, I'll be right over. Mm. Um, And I know that a lot of times in the STEM field, working in STEM can be so exhausting that by the end of the day, we just want to sleep. So my goal is to have more energy than that at the end of the day. Is there anyone that whose life really inspires you that you kind of aspire to be like? Not a single person in particular, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I greatly admire all of my friends who are able and successful at living a life of freelance, pursuing their goals and their dreams. Right. You know, I I have friends who have been very successful uh, doing what they're passionate about. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Vanessa from Braincraft. Yeah. But she is somebody somebody who is pursuing her dreams and her goals and experimenting with new medium all the time. And I find the fact that she is able to do that and the fact that she has the self-motivation to do that, very inspiring. I, I'm trying to, because your life um, sounds uh, pretty unconventional, I have to say, um, if you don't mind me saying. In the sense that, yeah, and, and it's, it's amazing because, you know, often people follow a very prescribed route of like, study STEM subjects, get into college, go to university and study something, you know, become an expert in some area of STEM and then get a job in it. And it's kind of, um, you know, you didn't have that initial uh, kind of um, aspiration to work in neuroscience. It kind of found you 
in a way. And it's just been interesting hearing how your life has unfolded. Um, and I do get the sense that personal, the personal side of life is very important to you. Um, would you mind sharing like why you think you may have ended up in that relationship that you said was kind of psychologically abusive? Do you think it was had anything to do with where you were at? So that's a really interesting question and one that I've thought about a lot over the last several years. Um, nobody's perfect, myself included. And I was in a new place, phys- a physically new place, thousands of miles from anybody I knew. And I was recently single and my previous boyfriend to the the one that you're asking about uh was not was not around very much simply because of his career you know he did not choose the typical go to college blah 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 he chose a very different path which meant he wasn't around very often um and this individual was around all the time and we had really similar interests and we could talk about things that uh, were really academically stimulating. And I hadn't had that in a partner before. And I think I was lulled into this sense of security um, that I probably shouldn't have been lured into. And as a result, I ignored many of the red flags that were there because believe me, they were there. They were waving in the air, they were big. And I just chose not to see them. Because you were vulnerable, being in an unfamiliar place, right? Oh, yeah. I was very vulnerable. And, you know, I grew from that. I learned. I made sure not to repeat those mistakes. What did you learn? Um, I learned to listen a little bit more closely. I learned to actually see the person sitting across from me and not just see what I wanted to see. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. As scientists, you know, we're really good at looking for the facts. We're really good at, okay, this is the evidence. This is what the evidence leads us to. And I think sometimes when it comes to relationships, we turn that part of our brains off. And we probably should. Why do you think we do that? Because it doesn't sound romantic. Yeah, we we want it so badly to work, don't we? I think so. I think, you know, we have this idea of what romance is. (laughs) And science is not romantic, according to every movie you've ever seen, ever. Yeah, because I do do feel for us STEM women, because we're such high achievers, you know, academically, typically. And, you know, we, we are pretty good at being in control of our own lives. But I think when it comes to knowing how to manage um, relationships, sometimes that can be challenging for us. Not all of us, but some of us can be quite challenged by the unknown and the unpredictable and the uncontrollable aspects of a relationship. And so we tend to get involved in things that may not be the healthiest. 
That is certainly true. But, you know, like I said, as a scientist, if we are able to get ourselves out of it, I think we're also more likely to learn because now we have a huge body of evidence that we can compare against the next situation. Hmm. So how does your current relationship compare? Night and day. I mean, there is just absolutely no way to compare them at all, really. I mean, my current relationship is incredibly giving, both he and I, um, accepting, understanding. You know, the, my current partner is incredibly intelligent and has experience in fields that are completely different from mine. And honestly, I'm going to have to stop myself there or else I'm going to use the rest of the time gushing about him. <laughs> That's so awesome. And, and do you reckon you changed in order to meet or attract someone so different? And if so, how did you change? I had to change. Um, I had to be more comfortable with who I was and less willing to mold myself to my partner's expectations. And I think once I was ready and able to stand up tall and say, this is who I am, I was able to meet somebody who could see who I was and who could also show me who he was in an equally honest way. Because I think a major part of successful relationships is really having a strong sense of who we are as individuals before we get into a relationship. Well, you know, I think it's important to be very honest about the fact that I, once I left that previous relationship, um, I, I sought therapy. You know, we are scientists, so we can all hear and respond to and be aware of the fact that there is a lot of evidence that therapy works. Mm. Whoever is listening to me, I'm going to say this, speak directly to you. Don't be afraid of therapy. It's amazing. I think everybody should have a mandatory therapy session at least once a year, just like we have to go to the doctor once a year. Mm. Um, And my time with that therapist, I think, allowed me to deal with some issues head on, which then allowed me to grow much faster than I otherwise would have if I had tried to process on my own. So I I do think it was growth as the result of reflection and introspection Mm -hmm. as opposed to age. Yeah. Well, that's just, it's amazing. I'm so happy for you that you are in the place you're in. Um, It's been amazing to hear your story. I honestly had no idea that that's how you got into the sciences. What an incredible reason to take the STEM path. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. I have to say, I feel like we talked a lot about some pretty dark things, but honestly, my experience in the STEM field has 95% of the time been absolutely amazing. I've met people, I've done things, I've been to parts of the world that I never thought I would get to go to. You know, I've done just absolutely amazing things, both in my time as a student, my time as a science communicator with you, and as a medical writer. I mean, both in the scientific world and in my personal world, being a scientist has let me explore in ways I didn't think were possible. 
And I really want to leave people with that as opposed to some of the more uh, intense topics we covered today. Um, I really appreciate you saying that because, you know, it's clear that you almost discovered neuroscience by accident, but it has brought you a lot of fulfillment and joy and understanding of not only yourself, but also the world around you and the people around you. And uh, science does do that. It gives us a more profound um, appreciation of the world we live in. And, um, you know, just because you're in STEM and you've had these challenges, challenging experiences, it doesn't mean that uh, you're immune to those challenging experiences outside of STEM. So I think talking to you has been really interesting and inspiring because uh, I think as individuals, we all go through experiences that shape us and mature us and bring us closer to getting to know ourselves. And that's certainly the uh, impression that I've got from hearing from you today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's it from my STEM guest this week. What an interesting story. How amazing to have found neuroscience and her career as a result of going through something that was so adverse and must have been really stressful at such a young age. Um, It's instilled even more inspiration in me uh, to study the sciences because I think nothing gives you more knowledge of yourself um, as uh, scientific inquiry. Thanks for listening this week. Don't forget to subscribe and catch you next week on Silence.